G'day and welcome to another episode of the Andrew Price Podcast. I am very excited to be joined by a guest whom you may have seen his work. It was a little short film called Irradiation, made it in Unreal Engine. And what was special about it was its just unique approach to filmmaking. Um, well, yeah, that, that's all the introduction it needs. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, introducing Sava Jufkovic. Thank you, thank you kindly. <laughs> and that was very close, by the way. That was, it was very close. close. It was Djukovic. Djukovic. There we go. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hold any grudges over the mispronunciations <laughs> of you know, weird Eastern Europeans, Eastern European last uh, last names. You know, so it's, it's completely fine. <laughs> well, why don't we start there? Where, where are you based? Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Belgrade in uh, Serbia. I've uh, I've been born here. I've lived here all my life. Um, I kind of traveled around a little bit for work, but uh, I've mostly worked remotely and uh, kind of been based in Belgrade uh, since I can remember. So, uh, wow. Yeah. So you born, born and raised in Belgrade? Yes. Yeah. Got it. Now, yeah. can we start this podcast with a super noob question? I got to ask <laughs> this. Is Serbia part of Russia? It's a separate country. It, it's not. It's not. <laughs> okay. okay. Serbia was part of Yugoslavia, which uh, people might have uh, heard of before uh, until the glorious dream that was Yugoslavia fell apart into different countries. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, but we, we, we were kind of, you know, close to the Eastern Bloc, but uh, never really a part of Russia. Um, and uh, we don't we don't speak Russian. Uh and that's maybe something to, to say from the start, especially after irradiation. I've been getting a lot of messages in Russian and I don't, oh, really? I don't speak Russian. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Which is, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, okay. you know, Serbian and Russian, they're kind of similar and they have some similarities, but really they're very, you know, they're different languages. They're Slavic, but Got they're it. different languages. You can't really understand, you know, anything Got unless it. you really know the language. Got um, it. Got so, it. yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, well, we'll let the YouTube commenters tell me whether how bad that question was. Um, but, I, but, I, but I had <laughs> oh, a question because sure like, I watched the irradiation and th- they were speaking Russian, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, Got it. Yeah, it was intentionally Got it. made because of the setting. Yeah, the dialogue was in Russian. Got it. Well, that, yeah, so yeah. you must get a lot of comments then going like, hey, yeah, he speaks yeah, Russian. Yeah. People just assume, <laughs> people assume yeah, I, I, I work with two translators to help me figure that out. So, yeah, okay, got it. Got it. So, yeah, um, um, I, would, I would love to learn Russian, but uh, yeah. Um, well, I, I must say it is quite surprising to, see, to mm-hmm. I mean, because honestly, I haven't seen that many films from Serbia. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there is a film industry in Serbia. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Do, do, is there anyone else in your perimeter doing this this sort of uh, filmmaking that you're doing? Uh, not not as much in animation like this. Um, there are people, there, def- there definitely is, you know, and especially lately, you know, um, we do have a rich film industry, film, film background and film industry and film cult- culture. Um, animation, not as much, and it started to grow recently because of kind of the accessibility to everything and, uh, more and more studios are opening and more and more opportunities, you know, are opening and you can learn things that you couldn't learn, you know, otherwise, uh, now it's becoming a little bit more kind of democratized, democratized, mm. uh, in terms of like this kind of animation, like, I mean, th- there are people, but there's not too many, it's not, it's not too developed, I would say. Uh, my my background kind of, I've 
I've always worked remotely and I've always worked I've kind of freelanced for um, usually Western companies. Um, and that's kind of how I learned animation. And that's, mm. that's kind of how I, even today, you know, I work with Axis and that's my primary kind of work. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's just, I've been so detached from the industry here in a lot of ways that I'm, I wasn't even aware of kind of the stuff that was happening within the field of 3D for quite a while oh, while really? I was here because I was always sort of in my own little bubble kind of, you know, working remotely for foreign companies. Right, um, so right. it wasn't it wasn't really until recently, like until 2018, there was a conference called CGA in Belgrade. And that was kind of, you know, gathering all the different studios and uh, opening this world. So I did a talk at that conference and that's where I actually got to meet everyone and be like, Oh, all right. Hi guys. Like there's, there's, oh, you know, right, there's people here. Right. I mean, I knew there, there's studios here that do this stuff, but I was in, in a weird way. I don't know. I was just kind of detached from the whole industry here because I never worked in a local industry. So, um, mm. um yeah, it's, um, that's cool, uh, it's man. An, it's an interesting situation, yeah. Well, yeah, why don't we start with, uh, like, when did you get started in filmmaking? And what was the, the spark? Do you remember what it was? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, I guess, you know, if we go, go all the way back, it's as cliche of an answer as you're going to get. You know, I was a kid, yeah, let's I saw go Star Wars, and I was like, all right, I want to do that, you know. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, it's one of those things where you don't really, you know, you're, you're growing up in Serbia, there's, you know, there's institutions here, there's universities, there's very decent universities here that you can go uh, learn that stuff. But um, it's, I don't know, it just, it's not something that you kind of, uh, I guess, hold as a kid. It's kind of like, oh, you know, I'm going to learn filmmaking, I'm going to go to film school. Um, so it's it's kind of been embedded in, you know, my growing up and in my upbringing. I used to love watching, it's not just Star Wars, but, you know, just watching films. Uh, that was kind of my dad imprinted a lot of that on me. Um, and then uh, I studied interior and furniture design uh, at the Faculty of Applied Arts here. And that's kind of my introduction to the whole kind of art side of things. And that's, uh, you know, I interior used to... Interior design. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I come, I come from a, yeah, that, that type of a background. But um, basically in my early, early study days, that's where I got introduced to 3ds Max uh, in college. And that's where I was like, holy shit. All right, this is, you know... So this is the software that that's used, you know, for all the you know visual effects and films or CGI game trailers. Like I was uh, even before I, you know, I was aware of this industry. I was kind of aware of Blur Studios and the work they they do on the on the game trailer side of things. So when I realized, like, holy shit, this is a software they do it in, uh, that was kind of that was kind of the click. You know, that was like, all right, I can probably. I can probably learn animation and then learn filmmaking through animation on my own terms without having to go to film school because it's not even like the question of having to go to film school. It's, I think it's at the time film school was just kind of out of reach for me for whatever mysterious reason. I don't know. It just never occurred to me that I can kind of apply for that and mm. make that my job. Right. Whereas interior design was um, even that, to be honest, like that was, I'm, I'm one of it's, it's a very opposite uh, situation. Like when I was a kid, I used to play tennis a lot and I had this grandeur, like delusions of grandeur <laughs> to become a tennis player or to become like a tennis coach at least. Um, and then my dad basically forced me into art school, which is uh, kind of, you never, you know, it's always the separate kind of, or the, the, the contradictory of that situation. You know, it's always people wanting to go their, in art schools and they're, 
parents being like, oh, no, no, you have to go to law school or something like that. Mm. So my dad's a big um, art collector and um, all of our friends kind of in our immediate circle are kind of painters and sculptors. And I, I grew up with that stuff as well. So they all forcibly, because I was drawing as I was a kid, you know, growing mm. up, they all kind of forcibly saw that, all right, you, you're going to go to our art school. You're going to love it. And I, I really didn't want to go to an art school. <laughs> like, I really, really? didn't want to do that. I don't know. Like, I, I guess I was just, uh, again, delusional about my tennis goals <laughs> at the mm. time, which is, sounds, in retrospect, it sounds like the dumbest thing ever. Um, but, uh, but as soon as I went to, to you know, that university, that's where the whole world opened to me. And that's mm. where I got, you know, introduced to 3D. And I, I still remember to this day, like, that's kind of, you know, that, that kind of moment where I first opened up the 3ds Max and just there was just a cube, um, not like in Blender, you have to make it in 3ds Max. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but I was Wait, just, I was just, I was just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I was just, I was just orbiting around this cube for like half an hour, being like amazed at this like 3D space. And oh, uh, wow, I don't know, things things just kind of opened up there because I kind of I guess realized that I can I could learn this stuff on my own terms. And it was never again like it was never um i guess in my early days i was i was more you know interested or infatuated with the kind of whole process of cgi versus filmmaking per se because filmmaking was still such a you know unattainable goal in my mind for some reason that i wasn't mm. even thinking of kind of oh i'm gonna i'm gonna become a director i never had a goal you know it was it was something i was you know, always maybe dreaming about, but it wasn't really like a set goal that, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to become a director. Like, it never happened like that. So I was more more into kind of the CG side of things. And then little by little, I, I started doing these kind of personal projects, and I never had the balls to call them short films because to me they weren't. Um, it just felt like, a, you know, like an animation project, let's call it like that. And it was always kind of connected through architecture and motion graphics and stuff that I knew to do um, until one day we we kind of expanded the team through some friends and uh, we kind of made together this first uh, short film for, a, for an art conference in Croatia called IFCC. And that's the first time that I actually had the balls to call myself a director and to really? give myself a director credit because I, I felt that this is the first time that I, I was actually able to tell a story and to direct people and to direct actors. Um, and, um, and that's basically how it all started. Uh, that's crazy. I, I made the first film. What, what year was that? Uh, sorry. That no, was 2017. Um, Whoa, so that's when my pretty short. Yeah. Okay. So, I, so basically, I, I forgot to answer the question. So I started with CG in 2008. Uh, that's when I started studying. So that's where I got introduced to 3D. I freelanced, I finished my studies in 2012. And then I freelanced all throughout my studies all the way up to 2017. Um, and 2017, when, when I um, published that first uh, short film, I got contacted by, by uh, a couple of people, but Axe Studios was the, was the one that really kind of uh, wanted to take me in and to kind of, you know, um, uh, offer me kind of this uh, well this amazing position to start with but also you know room to learn and room to grow and uh, I've been you know as a freelance director officially but I've been with Axis since 2017 ever since uh, working on um, some some pretty cool game cinematics which is uh, still kind of you know it's a it's a dream so um, that's yeah cool. that's 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 kind of it in a nutshell like there was a like a specific 
freelancing career, like CG generalist career before this. And then since 2017, up until this point, I've solely been directing. Um, wow. Yeah. That is a pretty unique uh, pathway into into this. Like interior, does, like, because you got, you, you got the spark yeah. from Star Wars, but then thought, yeah. I can't do that. I got to do interior design. <laughs> and then through interior design, you learned 3D. And then you enjoyed yeah. that so much, then you actually slowly worked your yeah. way into filmmaking. Is that a suffice? Yeah, yeah, pretty, summary? pretty much. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an accurate summary, and that's yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Like looking looking back at it like that, and uh, it's interesting you say because you know every filmmaker has a different path and a different route. There's no, you know, like that's why the question of like oh how do I become a filmmaker like it's very unique to yourself and to your circumstances and to your you know surroundings and uh, mm. it's it's never you know there's never like a cookie cutter sort of a you know template of oh do this this and this and you'll yeah. become a filmmaker you know if you try to retrace my steps um, it's it's problem you know most likely it's not gonna work because it's just it's so very circumstantial you know and all, all of that has to do a lot with timing as well um like the the timing that the time that we kind of published uh ifcc film in 2017 there weren't all that many films of that type produced by very small teams of people and friends you know uh if you did that same short film today i don't know like if it probably like if we did the same short film today and released it today i don't think it would have had the same impact uh, I think, you know, really? a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with timing. It's like irradiation in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I appreciate all the praise and everything, but, you know, irradiation also came out at a time where there's this amazing big hype about Unreal Engine, you know, mm. and everybody, you know, has their eyes set on any kind of film or content that's been produced with Unreal Engine. So a lot of the success, I would say, has to do with that as well. Um, not to, right. you know, try to devalue it. I'm, I'm still... You know, very proud of what we were able to achieve uh, as, as again, as a small team. But um, it's it's very, you know, it's very timing oriented. Um, mm. It's, um, you know. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I think that was one of the, the the most interesting parts of your, your process video was like seeing the, well, maybe actually like for those who haven't seen the process video, could you share what some of the common pitfalls of CG animation uh yeah, what some of those common pitfalls are and then how real time uh, improves that. Sure. that. Sure, sure. So, I mean, it's like to me, it happened a little bit before this. It actually happened kind of with that IFCC project. Um, but typically, you know, like in a in a CG pipeline and in a typical kind of game trailer or full CG animation pipeline, um, you would do your first pass of the edit with storyboards, with just 2D drawings, 2D storyboards, uh, that's a fast and expressive way of showing what you're after, what kind of shot you're after, what, what's the general kind of, you know, feel of the piece. Um, and that's basically, you know, next step of that comes in 3D previs. And 3D previs is very rough and it's very basic because you're using just placeholder assets. And um, the main point of that is just to, you know, transfer, again, the idea for the shot. So the shot doesn't need to look nice. Uh, the characters can often just be, you know, T-poses. Mm -hmm. um, it's just the idea of what the shot is. Is it a wide? Is it a close-up? Is it a moving camera? Is it, you know, uh, just to get the, the edit assembled. Mm -hmm. And um, because those two stages are so, you know, uh, early on where you don't have assets, you don't have lighting, you don't have anything, you just mm -hmm. have placeholder stuff. Yeah. 
um, it's a little bit lackluster because basically that's your filmmaking part, right? That's where you're you're making the decisions for shots, you're making the decisions for performances, you're making the compositional decisions, you're making the editing choices. You know, the edit will be refined when you have performances, of course, but that's, you know, that's the main construction of the edit and the structure of everything is getting decided very early on in that previous slash storyboard process. And what's what's kind of um, what was frustrating for me, I guess, so far is that um, you're you're really missing out on the lighting side of it. Like lighting is such a huge, crucial aspect of cinematography that you're basically, you know, you're completely missing out on it by just working within previs because you're not composing your shots to light. You're just composing them to geometric shapes to, you right. know, you can, you can, you can put your character in a, you know, uh, whatever, like a rule of thirds spot and you can, you know, frame your shot nicely uh, in terms of geometry, but you're missing out on the lighting and shadows. And those are huge, huge impacts on how a shot looks. And that's a huge, that's the biggest, you know, um, one of the most important parts of cinematography is, is just lighting to, or you know, composing your shots to light. Yeah. Um, and then, then in CG, you know, you would spend months and months making everything and building all of the assets until you actually get to a lighting stage. But when you get to the lighting stage, you're locked. You can't move the camera. You can't move the characters. Animations are locked. Cameras are locked. Everything is locked. Environments are locked. So all you can do is you can mold the, the lighting to your already existing shot. You can't move around. You know, we never get a point where, you know, you make everything and then you move around with your camera, like with an interactive viewport. That doesn't happen in production because you right. just, you know, like the creative has to be signed off months, months ago. So now you're just producing, you know, you're in shot production um, and you never get time to to just explore now that you have built all these amazing worlds. Like maybe you'll mm -hmm. see something, maybe, maybe you'll find like, oh, man, that wall looks amazing. Like, what happens if we put the character against that wall and shine a red light on it? And, like, th that can create an interesting composition that will accentuate the character's state of mind or whatever it is. You know, like, th it's the the happy accident side of uh, things that you get for free sort of in live action. You know, when you get with the actors on on set, you, you still have to, you know, in live action, they do a lot of storyboarding and previs as well. Uh, but there's this happy accident part of live action where you can see something and you just go for it. Like, oh, that looks interesting. We have some time. Let's let's do another setup and shoot this or shoot this this way. Or maybe, oh, shit, we got to a location. The weather changed. That ruined our plans. But look at this. Like, this looks interesting. You know, the right, unpredictability right, right. of live action is what provides for that kind of reactionary element to filmmaking where you'll you'll see something that you would never have planned for because it just happened on the day. That maybe right. maybe the actor themselves were in a mood that you weren't planning for, and maybe they'll bring something like that. So there's this wonderful reactionary process that happens in live action that's completely missed out in animation, I think, because in animation, again, everything has to be very planned. You know, yeah, everything has to be very true. carefully planned and pre-planned. And um, after a while of doing that, like that's that's where I kind of I really started to become tired of it. So yeah. I was always on the on a on a on a hunt of kind of how I can bring that feeling back, you know, how how I can kind of have that a little bit of that reactionary element, um, and it basically started, you know, like my my CG background allowed me to do my previses. Like I always do my previs. That's the stuff that I like most because that's my that's my kind of even for work at Axis. I, I like to do my own previs because that's my my hands on the project, my hands on the cameras, my you know. 
um, kind of um, ownership a little bit, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and I was always kind of trying to refine that. So in 3ds Max, you can you don't have EV, of course. Uh, they they have new stuff now that's kind of similar to EV, but not really. Um, but uh, you can make your viewports look nicer than just a typical grayscale viewport. Yeah, sorry, which, which, which software are we talking about? Uh, 3ds Max, yeah. Oh, okay, so, got it, got it. Yeah, so in, in 3ds Max, you can make your viewports look a little bit nicer, but it's all nowhere near as nice as actual lighting. Mm -hmm. um, so I was I was trying to, for years, I was trying to make it, you know, look as, as cinematic as possible. So I, well, cinematic, just have some lighting information so I can actually frame shots to lighting. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then miraculously Blender came out um, with the 2.8 one. Uh, so I don't. I'm, I'm not really a power user of Blender, but I think it's absolutely the best uh, software for previs because of EV, mm -hmm. and I, I think it's even better than Unreal in a lot of respects because um, we can get into that later. But basically, Blender is a typical 3D software, so you can, if you need, you can quickly rig something or you know model something. And for previs, that's key. Like you need to be fast. And mm -hmm. with Unreal, there's Unreal is fast, but there's a lot of waiting to get to the fast part. Um, Right, so, right. so with Blender, that's that that was kind of the key uh, kind of stepping stone where I kind of I used it for a couple of previses for a couple of projects, and that completely changed the game for me because I could actually light I could actually compose shots to lighting with Eevee, just just you know just in viewport and be reactive to what the light is doing and you know find interesting compositions that you wouldn't ever find before, mm -hmm. um, and that was that was kind of what you know instigated the whole process for me and uh, mm -hmm. i was always aware of unreal and unreal's power uh, but i just never had the balls to jump in because it's such a different piece of software altogether mm -hmm. and then finally you know with this project i did and it's it's an absolute game changer in in every way possible because you know with with eevee you get you know real-time performance when you're moving the cameras but when Unreal, you get absolute true real time, even when everything in the scene is moving with 10 people moving around with, you know, effects and whatnot and, and complex animations. Everything is completely real time and you can just walk around with your camera, find shots. You can spend days yeah, just walking yeah. around and finding interesting shots and reacting to things. And that's where, you know, you get a little bit of that reactionary thing from from kind of live action that I was talking about is. You know, you just you, if you recorded the takes uh, as we did for irradiation, if you record the takes in a single go, so like each scene is just one take, one long take, where all the action happens in that single take, you can just walk around and find different angles, find different actions, find some things that you didn't even notice while you were shooting it. Like somebody did something interesting with the reaction of the hand or a shake of the head or something that looks interesting from this angle that you never thought of before. So that yeah, just you right. know, enables you to to be so much more reactive and so much more creative in a process. You know, nothing's really pre-planned anymore. It's um, it's kind of you know, it's just it's just fun. It's just absolutely fun to to work on because in typical animation, and I'll shut up after this one. I know I'm giving long answers, uh, but uh, but uh, in, in in typical animation pipeline, like that's what I what I kind of call like like walking the timeline is. You're constantly like walking that timeline uh, in your editor, you know. So you you have your timeline with your storyboards, all right. That's done. So now you have to remake that timeline from scratch in your previs. So okay, that's done. So that's the second time you walk the timeline. So now you have to create the timeline the third time with animation, with raw animation, and then you have to create the timeline the fourth time with 
cleaned up animation. And then you have to create the timeline the fifth time with renders and then multiple passes of renders. Yes. So you're constantly recreating the same edit from the start. That's your mm -hmm. typical animation workflow. You're just constantly recreating the same edit. And that's what I, the, the biggest driving forces for me for doing irradiation was the fact that I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do a previous for this. And I didn't want to, apart from a shot list, which you need to do, you know, for, for shooting Scripts, the mocap anyway. Yeah, yeah I, I, I never did anything else in terms of the previous, for, mm -hmm. specifically for the reason not to recreate stuff five times and to be a bit more reactive and to allow the process itself of, you know, the process of being free to explore to drive in a way kind of the creation of the short film. I think that's kind of the, the biggest value Unreal has for me, you know, the, that it completely changes the process you kind of, you can approach animation. It kind of frees you up a little bit that you don't have to be so rigid and strict and kind of, you know, adhere to pre-planned rules and you can explore and have fun and find interesting things uh, later on. So, um, mm, right. That's my very, very long answer. <laughs> no, it's really cool. I mean, that was something that I, I, there was a shot in your process video where you were sort of, yeah, you're explaining how you can place the camera anywhere. And, you know, you had this one of, you know, the guy in the hazmat suit and he was just sort of like acting and he's like talking and you're just sort of like pulling the camera around and you're pulling out to the entire environment and you're changing the light. And it was like, wow, this is, like it's gone from like you know cg animation could be this kind of like stilted you know poor man's version of live action and it can it can yeah. kind of get cool when you've got you know ilm or multi-million dollar studios to throw at it to now mm. potentially being better than live action because you can do things yeah. that you can't do in live action like have the recording yeah. the the uh the the act what would we the the take yeah, yeah the take yeah, that's yeah. the word sorry yes yeah, you could have yeah. the take and it's recorded and you could get it from any angle uh, and obviously yeah. there's you know you've you've still got technical glitches and things to deal with but yeah, yeah. the the advantage there are a lot of advantages over live action in that. it's i mean it's i think it's it's animation always had that advantage like you can still do that same process with an offline render engine you know it's it's just going to be not as interactive and not as fun so I, yes. I think, you know, the yes. main thing that happened with Unreal here is just that it allowed that process to be, you know, anyone can have that process. Anyone, you know, Unreal mm. is free. If you have enough, you know, if you have resources to get a mocap uh, session uh, or just a mocap suit, uh, you can do this on your own kind of average gaming computer, you know, right, you don't need, right, right. that was the thing, like that was before it was just reserved for big studios. And now from independent filmmakers to, you know, you know, just individuals, everyone can do that. That's the big, the big shift. And in a lot of ways, you know, that's the, I mean, animation always had, um, you know, like the, the typical animation that I'm drawn to is, is not really utilizing the, 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 the advantages of animation per se, because animation as, as, a, as, a, as a medium, really like it, it kind of, it's it's best kind of used as like if you saw like Alberto Miello's like the witness in Love Death and Robots. Uh, that's the kind of the best kind of use case of animation where you have mm -hmm. a bit of everything. You have the filmmaking, the photography, the uh, illustration. You have you know like when things aren't so photorealistic, because the more photorealistic things are, I'm kind of in the in the line of thinking of well, why don't you just shoot a live action film then? Yeah, tell me about so, the motion, because uh, that was something that sort of like stood out with irradiation mm -hmm. was like in your uh, 
breakdown video, the process video yeah. um, on your Vimeo. Uh, yeah, you had this like full stage with like actors in mocap suits and it was like, wow, this is yeah. like really high budget. And you said that it was, yeah, just like friends of yours that let you use the mocap yeah, stage. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, how yeah. expensive I mean, you, you, would it be if you had to pay for it? Just curious. Um, it's so the shoot day is not that expensive. Um, okay. I think it's, I mean, re relatively speaking, you know, like it's, um, I, I think shooting, um, and don't, don't hold me to this because I, I don't know this off, off the top of my head, but it, it comes down to, I think it's 1.5 K per actor, uh, in terms of per, like how, how many actors you have on stage, not like their daily rate, but the, how many people are you going to be tracking on stage? So 1.5K uh, per person that you're tracking, then you have to pay the actor fees. And then is like that that's per the day? Per day. Yeah, per day. Whoa, uh, damn. So then, uh, and then you have to pay the actor fees, but the, really the price comes down to the cleanup and the tracking and the solving. So once you've shot uh, everything, you get the raw data, the raw solves, which are kind of real time and you see them. And they work pretty well. Like for some shots, we use those, but um, they can be jittery. They can be, you know, not precise. You've yeah. seen plenty of kind of Rococo uh, stuff where like feet will go through the floor and stuff like that, where it's not really so precise. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of the live solve. And when you do an actual solve, an actual kind of keyframe animation work on top of that, that's what actually will set you, you know, back the most because that's charged All by right. the second. So if you charge by the second, if you have a nine minute short film, you charge by the second uh, times three because you have three characters or times 10 because you have 10 characters. That's where it's that's wow. So um, and that's is so, that yeah. so is that that cleanup stage that happens after the shoot after? Yeah, yeah, yeah that and happens. Is like, this, you know, yeah. and, and is it animators you're hiring to do the cleanup? It's it's the same studio. So the the, oh, okay. the studio I work with take one day or the motion capture and animation studio. They do a lot oh. of uh, they do a lot of work for games, actually, for mm -hmm. actual in-game, you know, animation. So, like most of the stuff in Witcher Three, they 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 help, helped a lot with Witcher, a lot wow. with Battlefield and stuff like that. Um, they're a small studio, but they're really really good. They've they've been around for a while. Um, but it's basically, you know, like the the typical pipeline of how you work there is, um, you know, you get your live souls, which you get immediately at the end of the day. It's you can see your live characters walking. You can see them in that video, basically, like through yeah. the camera. So you get that immediately and then you can, you know, throw that in your scene and you can animate the cameras to that. It'll be, you know, the characters will be twitching, but then, you know, you know, for example, like this one take, I need, you know, three cameras and I only need this chunk of the whole take. So if a take was a minute, maybe you need just 30 seconds of that take. So now you know to send it back to them and say, this is the chunk that I need. So they will only work on that chunk. They will only clean up those 30 seconds and animate those 30 seconds. And um, basically that saves a lot of time because you don't have to clean up everything. You just clean up the stuff that you need for your shots. So it's it's kind of a two-stage process, you know, like you, you work, like the first edit basically is just made up of uh, that raw solve data. So the first edit of radiation is, a lot of twitching and uh, you know flinching uh -huh. and a lot of a lot of 3d errors um but then at least you know the range the frame range you need right. so, then, so once you know, you've you locked send, it in yeah. then you go yeah like, you lock right, the edit now clean yeah. it up yeah 
Got it. Because yeah, that's when exactly. you start to pay because, for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you don't, you can do that. You know, you can ask for more and just, you know, if you want to have that flexibility. But loss, uh, like live solves um, usually get you all the way there. Like they're, they're very good um, lately. Got it. Um, Got it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious because I think we've all seen bad mocap, you know, like uh, I think Polar Express was one of the first, the pioneers of mocap, <laughs> which a lot of people got turned off by yeah um is it do do you think that the the tech is improving to the point that you can now do a full movie with mocap without it looking janky and weird oh yeah yeah i mean it's been done you know ages i mean i I wouldn't say polar express express was a bad version of mocap it's probably the the polar express problem was a bit more with a uncanny valley type of a problem Ah. Uh, more of a rendering i think because even you know even in, like in big films or in game cinematics like we do like you record motion capture and motion capture is is just a tool like it's not a it's not there to be the end you know product um uh, a lot of the times even when you're doing realistic um projects uh you still need to do a lot of cleanup or a lot of keyframe animation on top of that because for for example like in in a typical access trailer, we'll record a motion capture where we'll be happy with the performance, but then you put it in a shot and it's not really doing what the shot needs. Like maybe the actor moves a little bit too much and you don't really get that kind of close up of him that's very static. So you need to hand animate a little bit to kind of calm him down or express him a little bit more, you know? So that that type of thing happens a lot or like just just simple things like, you know, uh, speeding up certain actions, you know, speeding up a turn, speeding up a punch or a kick or whatever it is. Um, So there's always a lot of hand key animation happening on top of motion capture and especially in live action, I would I would imagine Mm -hmm. um, in like big VFX, you know, projects. Um, Polar Express, I mean, you know, that's why like, you know, like the motion capture back then was maybe a little a little bit less uh, advanced but uh they still you know polish the you know polish the final product in animation either way so it wasn't really i don't think it's 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 janky it's probably just the the fact that a lot of people have problem with the faces in that film because the faces mm. have this weird uncanny valley kind of affected them because the rendering wasn't up to par you really couldn't get you know we had overly realistic faces that you you see something's wrong with them they didn't have the skin yeah, shading that was so yeah. advanced there's all the, that stuff that really kind of throws you off and um uncanny valley is a very very tricky thing yeah, <laughs> to get away to get yourself from out of. i think i think yeah, for sure yeah. that but there was also like that kind of like i don't know i watched it the other day and like it just seems like they never stop moving like the boy he's just kind of like like yeah. he's supposed to be sitting still he's, he's just sort of doing this yeah, I mean, you know, like, maybe maybe that's a stylistic <laughs> maybe that's a stylistic choice. Maybe maybe somebody had an idea to, you know, animate him so, you know, to exemplify his, his insecurity or something. I don't know. But it's yeah, it's yeah. it's a lot of a lot of that, you know, it, it definitely had an artist's hand to it. Like none of that stuff, especially when it comes to animation, like you'd be surprised. There's no there's no there's not that many happy accidents in animation, you know, everything has to be pre-planned and, you know, you, huh. you, you review a shot, you see it 50 times a day. It's just one shot, you know? So yeah, there's yeah. not, nothing really escapes, you know, everything is very, you know, done with intention. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, but, but I think the, the more kind of exciting thing what's happening now is, you know, like that's the thing, like mocap used to be this high end tool that was only available to, to, you know, like high end productions 
And now they're becoming more and more available to to more independent productions, but also, you know, just individual people. I mean, you've seen Ian Hubert and what he does, like, is <laughs> just absolutely mm. insane. Mm. Um, and the fact that you can just buy uh, a mocap suit for your house without even like a studio and the fact that you can produce all these incredible Hollywood looking shots mm. by yourself, like that's that's an absolute, you know, it's it's crazy that that's yeah. happened. And uh, it, and yeah. that's that's the real, you know, benefit, I think, today is that everyone is going to like even that side of of the whole CG animation pipeline is getting democratized, even that mm. which was, you know, really expensive to get into. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, like that's that's where I had like incredible luck to meet the people from take one who are, you know, they're my friends today and uh, they, you know, a lot of a lot of the things that happened in my career, I, I definitely kind of feel they're responsible for 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 a big chunk of that because they wanted to help me uh, create mm. those films. So um, that's that's also you know one one kind of lucky break that uh, not not too many people get. Um, mm. You know, like really like when I remember back in two thousand and eight when I started, one of my first renders I've done was like thirteen hours for just this interior image. <laughs> uh, and it's it's like you know very very crappy looking like old school renders you know everything's you know reflective and stuff like that and now you have like a free software with a single gpu that can do you know you can do realistic real-time rendering inside yeah it's it's just yes. absolutely amazing you know yeah. so you can really you know learn this stuff on your own pace now more than ever um yeah so yeah the technology has it's really technology that's enabled this this yeah this this workflow because i mean you know from the start with toy story being this breakthrough of like you could do a feature film mm -hmm. with cg they deliberately chose toys because you couldn't do faces very well and yep. the render times were insane to you know now that even for a video game would just be mm -hmm. shocking you know and it's not yeah. that long ago like it's only 30 years right like it's not yeah. that that long ago that they were doing that um yeah but yeah you know what, what's the next 30 years gonna look like i mean we might yeah. laugh that I mean, there was even pitfalls in this it might just be that you know well i, I, I think that's 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 definitely one of the things to keep in mind you know i mean it's i, I think in a lot of ways you know having limitations really is 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 your best friend is and it's helpful like you i i don't think you ever want to be as a filmmaker you, you ever want to be in a situation where you have all the resources at your disposal and you can do anything you want and imagine because i don't think that's that's as fun and i think like from limitations sometimes you have to you know figure out creative solutions around the problem and those creative solutions around the problem might end up as something that defines the film uh, and defines the whole experience and that's definitely been true to to kind of how i approached all of my personal short films that i've done every time there was a problem uh, that I just, you know, I had to find a way around and that way around actually improved the film like quite a lot. And like you mentioned just now, like, like in Toy Story, oh, they can do realistic faces. So they're going to do toys. Same thinking with radiation. Uh, realistic faces are hard. Uh, people talking uh, is harder. Mm, so we have true. guys in masks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's we have true. guys in masks. You only see their eyes. Uh, you don't see their mouth moving at all. You only see the eyes of the main guy of Yevgeny. You don't see any other, any other. It's just all reflective, you know, glass. That's true. And yeah. then you only have a, a like two shots where Yevgeny takes off his mask, and immediately you can tell, like, oh, all right, that's CG. 
Well, yeah. there's there's like lighting issues in that shot and um, other technical things that uh, I'll blame myself later. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it, it really is, you know, like immediately he takes off the mask and the illusion is kind of broken a little bit. Uh, not that it was meant to like create this illusion that, oh, is this real or 3D? Like it's 3D, it's obvious. But uh, there's a like a dose of believability, like when you're just kind of focusing on the eyes. And uh, you you show an entire face immediately. The human mind goes, "Oh, that's not a real face." Yes, you know yes, that that right. takes me out. That's the that's the uncanny valley kind of effect. Um, that's true. Which is why that's which true. is why that style stylized animation always has um, an advantage. I would say in a way because your mind just accepts it. Mm. Oh, this is a stylized thing. I'm not gonna be looking for flaws in anatomy. I'm just going to accept yes. this as a stylized animation. So you're focusing yeah. on the story more and you're no longer trying to, you know, like figure out are all the pixels in the right places. Yes, um, that's true. That's true. So that's, yeah, that's, it, that's another. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely yeah. Uh, I, I think it's something that a lot of artists learn pretty early on that like the more realistic <laughs> you go, the more that adds up immediately yeah. it's like it's like on an exponential scale <laughs> you know it's like yeah. a yeah. like a log scale it's like you want realism it's like okay like one degree extra of realism means you also have to do that one degree off everything and not just exactly. for the, the characters or the you have to do it for the textures you have to do it for the lights you have to do it for the animation everything exactly. now has to be extra <laughs> so mm -hmm. people start with like i'm gonna make a realistic uh realistic animation and then you get into it and you go oh that was a poor choice <laughs> very poor yeah. choice <laughs> yeah I, i've fallen into that same trap um, plenty times at the beginning <laughs> yeah. and you hate yourself but, yeah. you're like oh this is just yeah. Yeah. compiling um well let's yeah. talk about what, what so what are some of the common or what are some pitfalls then of real-time filmmaking <laughs> currently that we we haven't discussed yet who um i let me see i don't think there's there's pitfalls per se so in terms of rendering or constraints I would say, maybe let's say constraints well, i i think in terms of yeah in terms of rendering and this is this is really like if you compare it to like you know big productions big studios even though big studios are using unreal uh even even now uh but um uh I'd say the the rendering quality is still not the same as your offline render engine, whichever it is, um, you know, like whether it's Cycles or Redshift or, you know, Houdini's mm. mantra or whatever it is, um, offline rendering still provides better images. Like that's, yes. there's no, like you can get really amazing looking images from Unreal 5, but when you've been doing CG for a while, you, you, you can, you know, the certain kind of certain, certain kind of traits that an image has and uh, Unreal still lacks a little bit in that aspect. I mean, again, it's it's really hard comparing it because it's such a different thing, you know? It's not an offline render engine, so you shouldn't really be comparing it. It's a real-time render engine. But what about, sorry, sorry again, to interject, what, what about the path tracer that's built into Unreal? I never used it. I, I think I like used it like two times or something. I mean, just okay. turn it on to see what it is. Okay. Um, I think it, I mean, it's basically like any other path, path tracer, but it, in terms of Unreal, it's not fully integrated with all the features. So for example, I yeah. think you can't do fog 
with a path, path tracer. Okay. And it's very, it's it's great for stills, but it's not great for animation. Like it has this temporal denoising flickering thing, and it flickers like crazy. Oh, uh, I think there's ways around it, but I'm not really, you know, I, I never really used it. I just saw a little bit of it, but. Uh, I think, I think they recently that, came the, out with a big update, by the way, that improved. It did. I think things. it did. I yeah. think I saw a video, but it's it's basically like that's the the, the really the future side of it. Like you, okay. what you want, and you have that with Octane for Unreal and with V-Ray for Unreal as well, because you have like you have a patch tracer in Unreal. You can also install plugins for V-Ray or for Octane for Unreal, so you can use oh, the really? okay. advantages of real time in Unreal. So imagine like I'm working on radiation and I'm you know finding the shots in real time with real time Unreal's you know native render, and then I'm like, all right, I'm happy with the shot. I want to render out final frames, but I use Octane or V-Ray, and everything stays oh, the same. All crazy. material stays the same. Wow. So that's it's basically like Blender and Cycles, you know, and Eevee. Like you work with Eevee like for you know, finding shots and for speed, but then you want to render on final frames, you just turn to cycles and everything stays the same. So it's the same mentality that they're, you know, working towards Unreal as well. You get the best of both worlds. You get the real-time interactivity and the kind of the creativity of, you know, being reactive mm. to stuff. Um, but then you get the final frame rendering with a proper, you know, production-ready render engine. So yeah. that's... that's yeah. That's like a, a big thing that I think it's still in development to some degree, but uh, I'm not sure. I never used V-Ray in Unreal, so I'm not sure like what can it do compared to like any other V-Ray, but I would yeah. the same. Uh, so I'd be curious kind of to know if the, if the shaders need to be changed. I'm sure somebody can. They probably have to be changed somehow, uh, uh, but that's that will be the end goal, you know? Like you don't have yeah. to change anything. Like that's, exactly. You just switch it, you know? Uh, and it's exactly the same just by, you know, the, the advantage of patch racing. Um, on the other hand, I think the, um, some of the kind of effects heavy things like, you know, smoke simulations or big particle, you know, fluid simulations, all of that stuff is not really, you know, it's not a good use case for Unreal. Uh, you can do it, but it's not, you know, it's nowhere, you're, you're never going to be able to render out, you know, film quality um, you know, fume simulations out of Unreal compared to mm. Houdini, for example. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah. that's that's uh, not. I, I don't want to say never. Uh, I mean, things are changing so fast, but uh, it feels like that's you know, it's it's not the best best kind of use case for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think those are kind of the main you know limit. I mean, but it's difficult. You know, it's difficult talking about it as limitations because you know we're comparing it to you know high end industry standard you know tools that are meant for different things so i think unreal is definitely going to get there um, yeah. i think in terms of in terms of kind of things that can be improved and this doesn't really have anything to do with unreal but it's you know like if you if you compare for example you know uh, the typical cg pipeline that i described before and how unreal changed that the biggest you know reasons why uh, irradiation was able to be produced so fast is because a, I used all of the assets were off the shelf stock assets. And again, that was the point because it was in a way a commercial for big, medium, small. Um, so so all of the assets were off the shelf assets. So we didn't have to build anything, which is a huge time saver. Mm, and true. then uh, the rendering side of things is real time. So you don't have to wait for renders. Like that's that's the second big jump in speed, basically. And the the production, I would say, you know, the the assembly of the edit and environments and all of that stuff, that's really fast because you're just seeing instantly what you're doing. So those are the big, big kind of steps forward and big kind of increases in speed in production. 
the next thing that I briefly touch up touch on in my video is um, the like the, the next thing that could really speed things up is the animation process and the clean the motion capture cleanup process. So still like that's still a time consuming process uh, for irradiation. It wasn't really full time, but it, it, it roughly took a month to clean up everything and to create everything to be, you know, ready for final. Um, so that's still, you know, some time. So if we if we end up in a place where there's a motion capture system that that's perfect, that doesn't require any cleanup after all, like you record it and that's it then that means that now your animations are real time as well. And you can actually shoot on the day when you're actually recording mm -hmm. motion capture, you can shoot the cameras with a virtual camera in a virtual environment, and you can just treat it as a live action shoot. You know, you would mm -hmm. shoot yeah, yeah. shots, you dump it on a card, um, and then you just start editing the next day. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the kind of the next step as I see it in specifically in CG you know, animation. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, it'll definitely get there. Yeah. Like you can see it with every iteration, every suit. Oh yeah, yeah. You know every, you know new version that Rococo, whatever the that's the name of it. Yeah, right? yeah. They come out. With. Yeah, I mean even even you know with now the all of the AI assisted stuff. You know, mm. like we've seen plenty yeah. of those AI solutions that are basically just creating motion capture off of a video. You know, just just that as well. video input. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. imagine, you know, if you cross that with an actual mo motion capture setup. So you have a setup that gives you a correct, you know, positioning in 3D space for tracking. Mm -hmm. But yeah. then you let the, the AI do all the, you know, painstaking cleanup work. And then you mm -hmm. kind of get, you know, sort of, I don't know. I don't know if it's as, as easy. I don't know nothing about AI. But, yeah, yeah. We'll um, just pretend AI but, will solve yeah. everything. We? <laughs> we'll, we'll, pre we'll pretend. We'll pretend. Well, we'll pretend that it will solve all of our, you know, hardest tasks and all. Yes, the, exactly. You know, tasks That's right. And leave all the fun to us. Uh, <laughs> but, Get to it, nerds. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. 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 That. I mean, for sure. It's really interesting. Like, the. That, the. That there's the real-time engines and then there's the offline renders and yep. for the longest time they've always been separate there's always just been you know there's the real-time crowd and they're doing stuff there and then there's the offline crowd and they're doing their own thing and they're slowly converging right mm -hmm. because obviously you've mm -hmm. got unreal engine and they're you know improving and getting it to this photorealistic standard but also the offline renders now with you know ai optics mm -hmm. denoising that nvidia's produced and open one for uh, for intel mm -hmm. They're now, especially with like a 3090, if you've got that in like viewport mode in cycles, yeah. I mean, it's real time. It's it's real yeah. time basically. And with the, I mean, even within, I, I imagine like next couple of cards, next gen cards, like the 30, the, mm -hmm. the 40 or the 50, whatever that will be. I yeah. mean, it, it's, it's gonna be pretty much on par, I would imagine with real time. And then you'll have, you know, real time as well. So I, I can see probably in the next five to 10 years, probably even five mm -hmm. years, no longer thinking of the difference between them. Like I think Unreal yeah. will be compared directly with Max and Blender in terms of what what they can I do think, and what yeah. you're using them for. I think so, yeah. I mean, it's de it's definitely going that direction. Um, I, I, I didn't, you know, when we get there, when we get to that point, like that's the experience I had with Unreal now, which I forgot to mention, which is, um, like with, with this this experience compared to every other experience I've had of making a, an animated short, uh, this actually felt like I was actually shooting a film. Like every other experience yeah, right, felt right. like 
I was I was pushing buttons and being yeah. technical about it, you know. Yeah. But this actually had like that, you know, creative flair of actually, you know, shooting. So that's you know, when that happens to every piece of software, I mean, that will be you know, that would be absolutely you know, free for all. And uh, it's that's why I think it's it's so important, you know, like when back in the day, like you know, the 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 ability to create a realistic render or like a nice composition or a nice design. Uh, that was kind of the thing that set you apart. But now everybody can do the same thing, you know. So uh-huh. now, really, you know, it's the it's the basics of you know filmmaking or design or photography. Like that's what's yes. gonna set your your work apart. Where everybody's yes. gonna have the advantage of you know real time rendering that immediately gives you photorealistic results. Yeah, you're not even gonna have to think about it. Like there's just yeah. you know everything just works, uh, and you have you know the same resources, the same 3D assets, the same textures, everything's free for everyone. Um, that's where, you know, uh, the competition is going to rise up and everyone, you know, everyone's going to have the same, you know, abilities, but that's where you, your kind of fundamentals and your ideas and story and the, the, your style, basically, that's, that's really what kind of will separate you from the rest. Absolutely. And that's the stuff that that I always kind of say is that that that's the stuff that really matters and that really, I think, with all this kind of um, like abundance of resources everywhere, and especially like the real time or the the kind of the immediacy of everything these days, people are expecting results so fast mm-hmm. uh, that they forget that you know like building your actual style and your voice that's the stuff that still takes years. Like that's not gonna be able you're not gonna be able to speed that up. With a yeah. forty ninety or uh, yeah, with anything yeah, else, that's right. That's right. That's the, that's the like that, that's the like the art side of it is still like takes years to properly develop. So that yeah. would be like one one of my biggest advice to to people starting out is like it's it's you know all of this technical stuff comes and goes and uh, it improves all the time. Uh, but yeah, you, I, I just won't rush it. I would just you know focus on 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 creating your art basically and. Uh, um, yeah, all the technical bits will fall into place. Yeah, um, and I, yeah. I think, the, the thing is, yeah, go on. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, I, I think anyone who's who's been using three D uh, for any length yeah. of time knows just how like drastically less technical it is today to get started. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know? Like yeah. even like take one aspect, like shaders, right? Mm-hmm. You, to to create a realistic shader, you used to have to understand. Uh, how to mix diffuse with the gloss and use the Fresnel to drive it so that it appears on the the back side versus the, this side. And then when it's more rough, you had to like decrease yeah. the, uh, the impact and you had to know all this and you could drive it and you could create calculated mm-hmm. with, with like nodes, nodes, nodes. And I remember like creating my own setup that did this and it was so technical, but when I did it, that had like I kind of had an advantage over other artists if I was competing yeah. with them, let's yeah. say, because I could make yeah. a photorealistic image and they would go, how do you do that? And then yeah. Blender came out like a year later with the principal BSDF, which is based off of Disney's paper, which does mm-hmm. it all in one single slider, in one single, single shader. Yeah, yeah. So now yeah. new artists who have no idea what's going on under the hood, they're dragging the roughness around and it's automatically, mm-hmm. it's doing the Fresnel, it's applying it correctly. They don't even know what's yeah. actually happening and it doesn't yeah. matter because they don't need to know it. They yeah, can just exactly. focus on the art and exactly. the composition, yeah. the colors, the lighting. Mm-hmm. And to your point, I think that that is the skill that like 
if anyone listening wants to know like what's a skill that's going to be valuable in the future it's the art it's the actual it's the storytelling yep. the composition the aesthetics actually making pleasing images and yep. things that people want to watch and look at yep. that's that's really what it's, it's going to come down to just basically like paint on a canvas like you will get to be creative yep. rather than have yep. to deal with the little intricacies and poly counts and blah 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 which is just fantastic exactly. i'm I look forward to it so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, it kind of happened, you know, in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, like you said previously, like the, all the, you know, the technicalities of rendering. I mean, to me, you know, the, the big change happened to me with Octane. Like I, I was using V-Ray for the longest time. And with V-Ray, it was always the question of how am I going to render this? You know, I have this idea for a short and I have this idea for a project, but how am I going to render this on my single, you know, yeah. machine? Um, then Octane came along, and uh, I, I still have that same machine today that I used to create IFCC. Uh, from I, I made it 2016, and it has four 980 Ti's still to this day, and they still work charm uh, in Octane <laughs> and in Redshift. They still work amazing. Um, and um, but that was that was basically it, you know. Like that was the first time where I was actually able to use the interactive viewport that had like a semblance of a real time engine. Uh, and I couldn't, you know, you couldn't play things in real time like you can in Unreal, but you could move the camera and react to light and find compositions and shots, you know, with lighting. So you can do a lot of those things that I talk about. You know, you can do a lot of them in pretty much any render engine nowadays. Every everything has an inter interactive viewport, and you can, like like you mentioned with the denoiser in Blender, you can do that same thing basically. The the the, the advantage that Unreal has currently is the absolute true real-time experience when you hit play. Mm -hmm. So when you hit play, everything plays completely smoothly, completely real-time, no noise, no stutters. You know, you can have 20 characters. They were all streamed seamlessly. So uh, mm -hmm. that's the that's the kind of the big advantage. And um, yeah. again, like it's not, I don't want to sound like a big, you know, salesperson for Unreal. I, I think, you know, you can... Um, it's it's all really software. It's all tools. Uh, you can create your film or your idea in, or your 3D render in any software out there. They're all pretty much the same. It it more you know it comes down to an idea uh, more more than kind of you know the intricacies of different software. So um, if I made irradiation um, in a traditional way without Unreal, it might have looked a little bit different. But at the core, the story would still be the same. And uh, mm. I'm I'm sure most of the shots would still be the same um, because I, I, I wrote them down on a paper before I ever, I ever started shooting. Uh -huh. So uh, it's yeah. kind of, um, it's, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's just um, focus on your ideas, I guess, more. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, because that was going to be one of my questions is what, what advice would you have for aspiring filmmakers today? Uh, I, I think I kind of, <laughs> I kind of went over it. Yeah, you did, uh, yeah. But I if, kind of there, if there was anything else that came to mind, I mean, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, the, the one that I said already is kind of the patient side of it. Like, you, you really need to be patient with it because I had, I had kind of, you know, this questions always kind of pops up um, uh, mostly on Instagram because that's where I'm mostly at. But uh, it's always like, what advice do you have? Like, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do that, and it's it's always, I guess, like people kind of tend to, you know, go for the most complicated thing immediately mm. like you've never if you've never made a film before uh animated or live action uh whichever way uh you know your first one needs to be really simple 
Mm -hmm. uh, it, it can't be this massive undertaking, you know, and it's, it's very easy to get um, carried away. Like, especially, you know, Blender is free. Blender is accessible. There's so many tutorials out there. People see Ian Hubert and they see his one minute videos and they're like, oh, I can do this. You know, what they don't see is Ian Hubert has 20 or how many years of experience behind mm. doing that stuff. So that's the that, that's the thing that people don't tend to see is like, oh, you know, this is free. You know, it, it looks easy. Right. But it takes years to, to properly develop that. Um, so it's it's always, you know, in, in order to create like films, uh, filmmaking is really it's, it's a team sport. You know, it's it's there, there's been, you know, solo filmmakers and specifically in the animation world. There's been solo directors and solo filmmakers who make everything by themselves. Uh, again, aforementioned Ian Hubert, <laughs> like the pinnacle of uh, uh -huh. of independence. Um, but um, but you know, like there, there's there's been people who have pulled that off. Uh, but really, you know, filmmaking is a team sport, and you're only as as strong as your team. Uh, mm -hmm. Directing is is not about you doing every single part of the job. It's you you know, conveying the vision to the team and driving the, the team to, you know, um, execute that vision exactly how you imagined it. Um, I think I would also, I would almost say, because I've done both, I've done stuff all on my own and I've done stuff with the, the help of a team. I would, I would also say that, uh, almost say that, you know, like, like actual true directing is when you're working with teams of people, because if you're just working by yourself, that's easy because, if you know how to do it, you just, you know, you just sit down and do it. But if you have to explain other people how to do it, you know, that's that's kind of, you know, that's the art of it. That's the mm. kind of the, the whole gist of directing is you have to um, you have to direct teams and be able to convey your vision uh, to them uh, in order to execute it. Um, and, uh, you know, like being a team sport, building teams and finding collaborators and finding people who are willing to work with you like that, that doesn't happen overnight like that. To me, that was a process as long as, you know, nine years or mm. maybe I'm, maybe my math is missing me. But uh, yeah, something around that eight, eight years before I, I was in a situation where I can, you know, I had a friends, basically, I, I mean, team is maybe a little bit pretentious. It's, it's, it's all my friends that we kind of, you know, we, we were passionate about this stuff. We wanted to work together on this stuff. And finally there were circumstances that allowed us to, to do this. But, um, you know, even if you have friends who are passionate about that stuff, nobody's just going to jump on a project like that, uh, for you. Like you kind of have to, in a way, you know, uh, get them on board or, you know, pro prove that this is the stuff that you're going to finish. How many, how many people start a short film project every single day and how many of them actually finish it? Mm. Um, you know, yeah. one is because it's probably a little bit too ambitious and two is because they're relying on things that they cannot do by themselves. So they're, oh, you know, for asking sure. for all these favors and, uh, people aren't delivering because of other commitments. So my advice for starting is always start with something that's very, very simple. And that's something that's you 100% know that you can do just by yourself that you don't mm. need any help with. You can yeah, create, you, you have an idea and you can create and execute it all by yourself. Yeah. And that's that way, you know, you, you know that it's all, you know, it's all in your hands. And, then and that means the by the one, way, dialing back yeah. your vision by a thousand yeah. times. <laughs> dialing back you want to have characters running times, through a realistic world, break it no. down to like blobs <laughs> on a screen. 
and you've got exactly, one bouncing yeah. over the other like a frog that's all you can do <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's it, it literally is i mean and that that comes back to what i talked about before is you know you you have to find creative solutions to your problems yes. so if you have an idea for a short that really needs a crowd then really needs this crowd scene and there's no way you're going to do a crowd. Maybe you just do one character running in slow motion and you add the sound of crowd in post and, right. and the sound. And maybe yes. that conveys the feeling of a crowd. I don't know. I don't know what the film is, but, you know, like there's there's solutions to problems, you mm. know, that that they can still kind of retain the the essence of the story, but aren't requiring, you know, effects uh, technical yes. directors to <laughs> to do this so so when you when you create that first one that's really your kind of you know uh, your kind of basically the first step that will that will kind of get the help for your next one or at least will help with getting the help for your next one because you can say hey you want to do something similar to this but together you know yeah and that yeah. kind of proves to them that all right you know you've done this before you can do it you you know how to do it and um, even with, you know, even with approaching people, I would always say, do as much of the work as you can before approaching them. Mm. You know, if you just approach somebody with just an idea that they might be like, oh, yeah, I don't know. You know, but if you approach them with an idea and, you know, half of the film finished and all you need is a character from them, then they might be like, oh, you're already working on this. You know, it's, it, yes. it's no longer something that you that you talk about making. It's something that you're actively making. And it's yes, it's so yeah. easier for them to jump on board because you know the all the groundwork has been laid. So that's um, an important point. Like I think every three D artist has been offered, <laughs> you know, can you join my project? And it it's just a hundred times no. You know, like yeah. it's because there's nothing that's like it's it's a dime a dozen. Like ideas are not yeah. valuable. I mean, every yeah. single artist has a hundred things that they want to create that is like in yeah. a queue, you know, in their head yeah. of like, so having an idea is, is really not valuable. What gets people excited, as you said, is mm -hmm. either one, if they've got a volume of work behind them, like literally yeah. what you have on your wall behind yeah. you, <laughs> um, or half of the work is already done. If you've got the storyboards, you've got the, the, the previews, you've got the animatics, you've got these shots, and then you're saying, hey, mm -hmm. Can you help me with this thing? Um, mm -hmm. That is a lot more enticing than like, I've got this great idea. Me and a few friends are going to make it. It's like, nah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how this yeah. ends. I've seen, <laughs> you yeah. know, 999 out of 1,000 of them will never finish. So what's the point? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and I mean, that's a real, you know, like that all, all of those offers online, I, I think like that's, you know, cold emailing somebody and expecting them to help you. I mean, that's that's rarely ever going to, you know, yeah. happen unless, you know, the, there's sort of some sort of mutual respect and some sort of a desire to work on something yeah. together. That's right. um, like I can only I can only testify to my experience, which has been just with friends and with people who I know and with people who I've, you know, spent years of my life with talking about doing this stuff and, you know, getting excited about this. And then finally we were able to do it. So it was kind of easier to go into. Mm -hmm. And then even, you know, every other collaboration that I had after that uh, was with people that I met on conferences on people that, hey, I know you work. Hey, I know your work. And then there's this kind of mutual, oh, that's cool. you know, respect kind of happening that we want to work on something together. So, so that's always easier than just, you know, uh, I think, you know, finding people online for a collaboration that can always, it can happen, but 
it's it's just you know uh, cold emailing and just you know approaching it as a business when it's a personal project i've had that happen a lot a lot, a lot of times but uh it's like you know like oh we're you know we're, we're doing this and that and there's this whole kind of excel spreadsheet of everyone's responsibilities and stuff and they're kind of approaching it as a very business oriented kind of proposal and production but it's a personal project with no money behind it so yeah, it's yeah, like yeah that's right that's right the, that's right you know and like nobody apart very right quickly mind. when like yeah, people have got yeah. other other commitments and then like oh this person's yeah. job was modeling he hasn't finished it why not well it's like well, what are you going to do? Like crack the whip? You've got no, <laughs> he's working yeah. for free. So then the whole project yeah. just loses steam and it dies. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, as you said, like it gets easier once you've got that, that volume, once you've got, like when you're starting out, you, you have to do it all yourself. And also it's, yeah. I think it's valuable to learn the entire process rather than mm -hmm. like, you know, if you're a modeler and you, you know, mm -hmm. and then you, you've got another friend who does texturing and then you're trying to find another person who does animation. Mm -hmm. Like, if you don't understand, you know, what problems they will be encountering with the work that you're mm -hmm. creating, you're just going to exacerbate, you know, the the, the, the time frame and, and the issues. And so you'll never be really, I don't know, you'll, you'll never be employable for one because you need to know the full <laughs> process. Um, so, yeah, even though you, you really want to do that crazy advanced animation when you just gotten started, you, you can't. You, yeah you got to go to the basics to do the entire process yourself. And once you've yeah. done that a few times, then you'll, you'll be mm -hmm. able to get other people involved to help, but you've got to do exactly. it all yourself at the start. Exactly. Yeah. It, um, you know, it, it, it uh, informs every step of the process and uh, you learn a lot from that first experience of doing everything yourself. You learn all aspects of it, even mm. if some of them are very basic uh, to your knowledge, like you still learn a lot from the process. So then later on, when when it when the time comes for for bigger things, um, you at least know the basics of it, and you at least know you know the procedures that go into that. So you can you know feedback adequately, and um, mm. you you understand the making of it. So uh, yeah, yeah. Um, S yes, that would be gears, the biggest advice. <laughs> switching up gears a little bit, I'm, I've always been curious. Um, it what where is the money? in short films is there a ah there's no yeah. money man there's okay no, i've never made a dime <laughs> from a single short film i've ever really? done really uh <laughs> not even ad uh, no. revenue well, on well, youtube I, I guess you could get some from that so yeah you can you can get ad revenue from you i mean no so there, there's um i've never made money from my short films because probably because i'm stupid and i didn't never <laughs> and i never planned to make Ad revenue from, or not ad revenue. I, I never planned to make money from my short films in a direct sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, the way I do it, I mean, you know, all my short films are references for my work. So that gets me new work um, at, mm. at Axis or, you know, anywhere else as a freelance director. Uh, right. So, so that's kind of like a portfolio. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that gets so you you're not really you know you're making money you know as a reference from that, but you, it's it's not really you know the short film that generates the money. There's no. ways of doing it. There's uh, in a in a CGI uh, production. There's ways of making money from short films. You can you know um, you can you can stream it online at specific platforms that do streaming. Uh, it's like low-budget Netflix, let's call them like that. There's plenty of platforms online that will, uh, if the film is successful, they'll, they will offer you like a streaming, um, what do you call it? Uh, 
basically they'll they'll, they'll want to you know include your short film in a selection of films that are streamed at a platform and you'll get some revenue from that mm -hmm. uh, if you have a youtube you can use uh, that to, you know uh, get ad revenue i don't have youtube i never um i never kind of planned on making uh, my kind of youtube business out of it because i make these short films every, once every year maybe so that's mm -hmm. not a very uh algorithm pleasing uh way yeah, of, yeah, kind yeah. of publishing yeah. videos uh, so for me, it's, it's just not for me. The, the platform is just not, not my favorite in terms of, you know, filmmaking platforms. Um, you can sell 3D assets that you've made for your film. You can make tutorials. You can sell posters. There's ways you can kind of make money from it. But I think it's never really going to, you know, recuperate all of the costs. Uh, it's never really going to, you know, it's the making of the film is always going to cost way more than you're ever going to earn from it. Um, for sure. Yeah. I, I again, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like this is not always the case. There's people who have gone above and beyond. Again, uh, you go back to Ian Hubert and his Patreon. That's the way he monetizes uh, his work. Or like Siama Peterson. I hope I pronounced that name right. But the guy who made a start is uh, the Warhammer fan film on YouTube. That was a giant hit. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You got it. You got to check it out. What, how do you like, spell it's, it? It's uh, a is So it's. Uh, a S uh, T oh shit I can't spell for oh shit uh, let me let me write it down and read it for Astartes. you <laughs> I think I found it Astartes. Uh, got it A S T A R T E S Astartes. that's exactly what it is yes um, ah, okay so that's 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 I'll link to this in the show example. notes if people want to check it out that's an incredible example like that's that's a single guy who made that whole thing largely by himself I think he had some help here or there, but everything like animation was all keyframe, everything rendering, modeling wise, effects wise, it was all wow. by himself. And it's one of the best uh, CGI shorts that I've ever seen. It's like five episodes. Um, wow. Uh, five individual episodes. And it's it's absolutely incredible. What did he use? Sound to, how was he able to render this? Was this Unreal Engine 2? No, that was Redshift in 3ds Max. Um, Redshift? Redshift, yeah, yeah, yeah. This one episode is 13 minutes long. No, no, no. That's all five together. Uh, somebody did. Oh, oh um, okay. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. That's all five. Somebody did like a, like a compilation. Um, yeah. Redshift is amazing, man. I use Redshift. Redshift is my primary offline render uh, for two years now. It's it's yeah. absolutely incredible. It's super fast. But anyway, the, like like he he as well, uh, he, he made... He, uh, he monetized his work through Patreon as well. And that really allowed him to kind of, you know, do this full time, which is incredible, an incredible position to be into, you know, like you, you don't have like your, your, your main work becomes your personal work. And there's a community who, which supports that work basically. So he didn't have to do any other work or any, you know, any client work to be able to support himself. He was able to do all of that through community, which is again, a similar thing to what Ian Hubert is doing. But that's that's really you know that's if you have you know an idea as good as as following as as big you can kind of create that kind of community around uh, which will support your filmmaking basically. So there are examples where you can monetize that, but really like in kind of you know like the short film world, there's you know there's not really ways to kind of you can monetize some of it, but there's not really anything that can kind of you know be 
I guess, you know, used as a, as a ways to make a living out of it. I, at least in my experience, I don't know, like there might be people yeah. who have done that way more successfully than I have. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, again, yeah. that was, that was never a part of my plan. You know, I never, I never intended to make these films to kind of, you know, make money off of them directly. Yes. Uh, it's always, yeah. it's always a, like a story I'm passionate about telling and I, I just need to get it out there and, you know, luckily I was able to get work from that, the work that I very much enjoy doing, you know, so it's, it's yeah, not, yeah. it's not like I'm, I'm doing something completely else for my work. I get to direct for my work as well, which is, which is very important. So, yeah. um, I, so, I said yeah, there's definitely, it's definitely hard, but I think there are definitely more you know, opportunities today to make money from a short film than there was. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Ago. Yeah. yeah. And especially yeah, yeah, like absolutely. you've got Netflix that are now investing in short films with mm -hmm. the um, Love, Death, and Robots, that was a, a oh, success. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that's a whole futuristic route, but Web3, this uh, sort yeah. of decentralized, giving people, the creators, yeah, the yeah. full source of revenue. If there was ever yeah, a yeah. sort of a YouTube-ish platform whereby creators actually received payment, depending on the number of people who viewed it, um, yeah. not based on ads, I mean, that could be... I mean, it could change so much if, if it ever turned out to be true. You could have all yeah. sorts of uh, content that was never deemed possible yeah, previously. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's going to happen, man. Like, I mean, I wouldn't like this is this is one of the areas that I'll definitely, you know, say don't don't take advice for me in this respect, because I never, you know, I never went down this rabbit hole of kind of monetizing the, 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 the short film kind of route. Uh, to me, it was it was a different plan altogether. So this I. I I, I know very little of it um, is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, so, so yeah, there's definitely ways you can do it. It's just, uh, it's just really what you want, you know, like is, if, mm. if this is what, you, what, what's the driving force behind it is you want to be an independent and you want to, you want to kind of monetize the work and live off of it and be able to just create that, you know, being able to do something like Ian Hubert or, you know, Siama who made a startist like that's, that's definitely the way forward this kind of, you know, you, you need to have this community around you that will support you basically along the way. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I've seen people do that with NFTs these days as well. Uh, that's something definitely I've tried to do as well is, you know, make a couple of NFTs that will kind of grant people the producer credit for the film and in turn, you know, finance the short. So there's that's a sense cool. of ownership there, not a sense of ownership. There's an actual ownership of the project. Mm. Um, but also, you know, that kind of allows the creator to do, uh, to do what they want. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. an interesting avenue that I'm definitely, you know, keen on exploring more. Um, but, um, yeah, definitely. Kind of, uh, awesome. Well, I know it's late there. Let's just end. Where do you, where can people find you? Um, you can find me most likely on Instagram. That's where I mostly hang around. Um, you can uh, find me on Twitter. I just recently jumped on, jumped on there. Uh, all of my stuff is on Vimeo. So if you just uh, Google my name and um, find my Vimeo, that's that that will you know uh, show you all the work that I've done so far, uh, minus all the work that's buried still and not able to show, be shown publicly. Uh -huh. um, there's uh, there's a lot of the stuff on my Behance page as well. Um, I use Behance quite a lot to kind of provide extensive behind the scenes looks into mm. my projects. So um, apart from my process videos on Vimeo, there's a lot of kind of, you know, individual images and um, like individual processes of uh, or 
assets or whatever it is that I've kind of made uh, along the way of the project. And I always dump them all on Behance. Oh, so that, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And uh, oh, wow. yeah, my Behance stuff, I, I'm, I'm way too lazy to make my own website still. Um, so ah, Behance is kind of nowadays. My, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a waste, Behance waste is kind of, of my, time. my, my, yeah. I mean, exactly. It's, uh, I, I still think it's valuable, but I never had it and I just, didn't have that mentality and uh but behance there, it has most of you know even like all the external links and kind of references and kind of talks and panels and whatever i've done so if you oh, great want to awesome. take a deep dive in that that's that's all there um so yeah pretty much pretty much anywhere on the web uh but instagram is definitely where i'm most active um where i'm kind of uh hanging out daily or at least i try to <laughs> awesome so, yeah Nice. Any any final yeah. remarks you want to leave our viewers with? Um, no, I I don't know. This is. I feel like sh- I, I feel like I should have prepared something. Um, <laughs> yeah, follow Blender Guru. <laughs> hey, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I just I just want to again say thanks to you because, uh, for bringing me on here because um, yeah I've uh, been a fan followed for years and uh, it's awesome being on the other side and um, yeah hope everyone get a got a got some useful information out of this and um, yeah if you for sure need anything else feel free to reach out um, to me somewhere on the web and I'll try to get back to you. Awesome. Great. Well, guys, I'll put all the links to uh, Sava's uh, Instagram and uh, Behance and everything in there so you can follow him. Thanks so much, Sava. That was great.